Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from what time on and forever. That the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus do not seem consistent with that of royalty. The early chapters of Matthew do not appear to describe the king of the universe. Perhaps the story of Jesus that is recorded is that of a different kind of king. King Jesus is not born in some far-off castle or with great fanfare. Instead, he was born into the muck and mire of the world he came to serve. It is unlikely, but this is how we encounter our king and discover his kingdom. Who is on the throne of your heart? We are starting a new sermon series today called King Jesus. I was talking to my wife, Carrie Ann, a few weeks ago about this upcoming series, and she said, King Jesus, she said, that's really good. Many of us want Jesus in our life, but we don't necessarily want to make him king of our life. And I thought, you know, you're exactly right. We want what Jesus offers us. We don't always want what Jesus demands of us. We want the forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus, our Savior, provides. We want the encouragement and the wisdom that Jesus, our teacher, provides. We want the companionship and the empathy and the love that Jesus, our friend and brother, provides. And we want the power and the provision that Jesus, our Lord, provides. But how often do we want the total surrender that King Jesus demands? You see, to have Jesus as king over your life means that you submit every part of your life to him. The fact that Jesus reigns over you means that your life is ordered by the way of Jesus. That he rules in your life means that he is most important. He is the highest authority. I wonder sometimes, do we even recognize Jesus as king? We use a lot of terms, a lot of titles for Jesus, but it is significant that over and over, Scripture presents Jesus as king. And it's not just for Israel, the people of old, who understood what it was to have a king, to have multiple kings. They used that language. It was familiar to them. It is unfamiliar to us. Most of us in this country, we don't really have royalty. We don't have kings or queens. We don't really think about that unless we're watching something happening in the U.K., and yet at the same time, we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the king, not just a king, but he is the king, the king of all kings. That TV game show, Family Feud, not long ago, had a question as a part of their game show. And the question was this, if someone said to you the phrase, the king, to whom would you first think about that person referring 
So when you hear the king, what do you typically think about? Well, you know how that game show goes. They survey 100 people. And out of 100 people, 81 people said Elvis Presley, the king, right? Where do you think Jesus and God ended up in that equation? Well, the good news is they were second, but only seven out of 100 people said Jesus or God when they thought about the phrase, the king. In fourth place, at least Jesus and God were ahead of this one, at fourth place, with two out of 100 votes, was the Burger King. It tells you where our priorities are, right? Elvis and Burger King. That pretty much sums it up. We live in a world that is confused. We live in a world that somehow sees Elvis as more of a king than Jesus Christ. And it's easy for us to say, well, that's the world. The world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand. But I wonder for us, many of us in the church, do we first and foremost view Jesus as king? King of all kings, king of our lives. And it's not just language, it's just not something we sing, but do we embody that with our lives, that attitude of bowing down before the king, submitting and yielding in allegiance to him first and foremost? That's what is at the heart of this series. We're going to look at some of the scriptures that present Jesus as king and some of these scriptures that portray his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, so we can truly understand what it means to bow down to this king, so we can truly understand what it means to live as a citizen of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Before we jump in, let me remind you that we have Discovery Bible Study bookmarks out in the lobby. These are a great resource. The digital version is also on our website under the Resources tab. If nothing else, this is, a, this is a great way to read ahead of time for the sermons, to prepare your heart and mind for the message each Sunday. But even better than that, I think, this is a resource and a tool to use to open up God's Word, maybe with your family, your children, maybe with someone in your Bible class, maybe co-workers or friends, someone in your neighborhood, someone you're trying to reach, or someone you want to grow deeper in conversation about God's Word, and just open up the Word of God Look at some of the passages that we're going to be looking at in this series and just ask a series of simple yet profound questions. I would encourage you to try Discovery Bible Study if you've never tried it. But those resources are out in the lobby and again on our website as well. well let me ask you, is it, uh, is it time yet to listen to Christmas music? Can we do that or not yet? Yes, okay, the youth group says yes. You know, there's generally two different camps, right? One is before Thanksgiving. Is it okay to listen to, th to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Oh, we got lots of opinions. How many say yes? That's okay. You should do that. Listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. All right. Some of you are year-round Christmas music people, aren't you? You leave your lights on year-round. You'd leave the tree up if no one said anything about it. That's fine. Most of us are probably maybe after Thanksgiving Christmas music. Maybe a few of you are like, uh, Christmas Day music is more my speed, or maybe the week of Christmas, right? We hear those songs over and over. Well, you don't have to listen to Christmas music very long at all to hear one of the most famous, most popular Christmas songs. We just sang it a few moments ago, Joy to the World. 
What you might not know about that song is it was not written about the birth of Jesus. 18th century English poet and clergyman Isaac Watts wrote this song not based on the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2, but rather as an extension and application of Psalm 98 about Jesus' second coming. Isn't that interesting? And yet the words fit so well. And you know the words, joy to the world, the Lord is come. And what's that next phrase? Let earth receive her king. You see, every time the kingship of Jesus is declared, every time Jesus is announced as the king of all kings, then everyone who hears that announcement, everyone who comes in contact with that good news has a decision to make. Am I going to receive Jesus as king? Am I going to embrace him and let him rule and reign over every part of my life? Let earth receive her king. You see, that's the question that we're confronted with today. That's the question that people have wrestled with since the king's arrival. Let's go back. A crowd was gathering near the holy city of David. Pilgrims from all over the countryside were making the the trek to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with the other covenant people of God. And there was excitement in the air. There was an ethos of anticipation because this might be the year, they thought, that we see the king with our own eyes. That the Messiah comes in the flesh. That the anointed one, the one that will sit on the throne of David, will be among us. We'll get to see that maybe it's this year. Maybe it's this time. And this wasn't just speculation. There was good reason for this question. There was a stirring about this one revolutionary rabbi named Jesus. And just a few days earlier in the nearby town of Bethany, Jesus had done something extraordinary. Somehow, some way, he had brought this man Lazarus back to life. After he was clearly dead, witnesses knew he was dead, his family knew he was dead, everyone in town knew he was dead, and now all of a sudden he is alive. It was remarkable. Multitudes made the short two-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethany to see with their own eyes to confirm this outlandish story. The messianic secret was no longer a secret because now Jesus was the talk of the town. And as more people talked and his word spread, hope increased. You see, if Jesus had the power to raise this man back to life, maybe they thought Jesus could be the one who has the power to resurrect a nation, our nation, Israel, back to its place of prominence, out from under the controlling, oppressive hand of the evil Roman Empire. Our dying nation needs resurrection, and maybe Jesus is the one who can do it. Expectations are a powerful force, aren't they? We all have them, especially when we start something new, a new job, we enter in a new relationship, different new and and, and challenging seasons of life. You're about to have a child, you have expectations. You're about to go into this empty nest time or retirement time, you have expectations. Expectations 
are a powerful force. They are the blueprints that we use to build responses to life. Expectations shape our perception of reality. We judge and assess what happens to us and around us based on our expectations. As this crowd is gathering to watch Jesus enter into Jerusalem for what he knows will be the final time at the end of his life, there are all kinds of expectations. Many of the people think if Jesus is truly the one who is going to sit on the throne of David, then what he's going to do is he's going to come into Jerusalem. He's going to have a strategic plan to take over. And ultimately, he will build up his own government. And it's going to take a military, and it's going to take other people involved. But ultimately, it will end up in this earthly kingdom. All kinds of expectations. So, of course... With those expectations, they welcomed their king. Matthew chapter 21, look at this triumphal entry, as we call it, of Jesus. Verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, what's happening here? It's pretty clear what Jesus is doing. He knows this prophecy from old. He knows that the people know this prophecy of old. And he is embodying the fulfillment of this prophecy. By riding into town on a donkey and a colt. When you first read that, you think, now wait a second, did he ride on both? How did he do that? Some of the other gospel writers say he was on a colt. And people have speculated, what what does it mean? Well, it's quite possible that he rode one for part of the way and then the other, or he just rode a colt. But the bottom line, the most important thing is Jesus goes out of his way to fulfill this prophecy. Why would he do that? He is presenting himself as the king. Prophecy says the king is going to come into town this way. When you see this, know that this is your king. And Jesus says, open your eyes, because I am your king. We keep reading in verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest heaven. We see this incredible procession of praise for the Messiah. A coronation of the king. But I want you to notice the next two lines. It's kind of a curveball. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Different expectations, different responses to Jesus. Some welcomed him as their king, but we know they didn't really know who it was they were welcoming. They were welcoming their own version of the king and their own self-prescribed, self-informed version of his kingdom. And yet others weren't quite ready to go that far. 
Maybe he's not our king. When the city is stirred as he enters the city and people are questioning, who is this? All signs are pointing to he is the one, the anointed one, the king, the one that will sit on the throne of David. There's the parade. There's a procession of praise. There's a prophecy fulfilled. Everything points to Jesus being the king. But when the question comes up, how do some answer it? He's a prophet. When everything points to the answer, he is the Messiah. Some answer he's a prophet. He's a spokesperson for God. He has some good things to say. This wasn't the first time the arrival of the king stirred a city. Go back to his first arrival here on earth, his birth. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, which is an important detail, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all the Jerusalem with him. You see, Jesus is breaking through into our world. The word is becoming flesh and will live with us. And what does the king and what does the city do? The text says they're disturbed. They have questions. You see, earth struggles to receive her king when there's already someone or something else occupying the throne. This is true about nations. This is true about governments. This is true about our own hearts, our own lives. It is so difficult to receive, to embrace Jesus as the highest authority in our lives, as the king of all kings, when there is someone or something else occupying the throne of our hearts, of our lives. You see, King Herod was literally on the throne. He was the king of the Jews. And he didn't want to hear anything about a new king, someone to overthrow his kingdom. Sometimes we don't go to those links and those rationales. But I wonder, do we think the same thing? Are we threatened at the possibility of putting Jesus at the center of our lives. You see, Jesus' birth didn't meet most people's expectations for royalty, for a coming king. In fact, it was just the opposite. It was meek. It was mundane. It was unremarkable, at least from outward experiences. But we know that God was orchestrating a divine plan. And even in Jesus' birth, God was revealing the true heart of the king and the true nature of his kingdom. An angel appeared to an ordinary girl in an ordinary town called Nazareth. And here's what he said, Luke 1, 28. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This angel says to this young woman, God is with you. God is with you. If you are here last week, you know that's one of the phrases, one of the lines that we were challenged to take with us. To tell ourselves every day that God is for us, that God is with us. And maybe to share that with someone else. How did you do with that? Did you remember? It's never too late. It's never too late to validate that God is for us, that God is with us. And to share that good news with other people. The angel says to Mary, God is with you. 
And her story reminds us of something we need to know as we tell ourselves that same truth that God is with us. That just because God is with us doesn't mean life will always be easy. It doesn't mean life will always be predictable. It doesn't mean that there won't be challenges, there won't be obstacles. The angel, the messenger of God says to this young woman, God is with you. And yet we know that her life is about to be turned upside down. Back in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The long-awaited king is on his way. He will occupy the throne of David, but his kingdom, unlike David's, will last. It will never end because he is the king of all kings. You see, it was happening. What had been prophesied long ago, what had been hoped for and anticipated for generations was becoming a reality. The people's longing for the Messiah, their longing for the king, wasn't just based on hopeful speculation or delusional dreams. It was rooted in the word of God. They knew it was coming. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. When you're being oppressed, when you're going through difficult times, when there is darkness, that's what you want to hear from God. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What is this light? The prophet continues, for us, for to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, from their prophets of old, the seeds of hope had been planted. The anticipation of a coming king was solidified in the hearts and in the minds of God's people. A child would be born and the government would be on his shoulders and he would occupy David's throne. But not just David's throne, the throne. He would be the king of all kings, and his kingdom would never end. And so as we go back, we begin to see this picture take shape, this prophetic picture of the long-awaited king. You have the prophecy of the king. You have the birth of the king. And then you have the arrival of the king into Jerusalem. The question is, how did the earth receive her king? Knowing it was coming, anticipating it was going to happen, seeing it some with their own eyes, how did earth receive her king? Let's go back to the triumphal entry of Jesus. As he goes into Jerusalem at the end of his life, it appeared that people were finally <coughs> putting together the pieces of this prophetic puzzle, that they were 
seeing that Jesus was the king, the long-awaited king, the great deliverer. He was this source of light that was going to illuminate their darkness. But we know what happens next, don't we? We know that the crowd's cries of, save us, Hosanna, quickly turn to angry shouts of crucify him. From glorious praise to repulsive violence. Just in a matter of a few days, why? Why would that happen? Well, there's a number of reasons, but one that cannot be overlooked is this. The people simply did not truly receive their king. Now, some received and embraced their own version of the king. Some were looking for Jesus to give them what they thought they needed most as the king. But when Jesus came revealing the true nature of the kingdom that was not of this world, that is not of this world, people rejected him. He didn't meet their expectations. So let me ask you, have you received the king? Have you embraced Jesus as Lord, the highest authority over your life? Do you allow the ways of Jesus to order your life, the priorities, the pursuits of your life? How do you do that? Well, I think to answer that question, maybe we actually go back to that song, that Joy to the World song. What is that next line? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Maybe that's the key to receiving the king, is to prepare room in our hearts for Jesus. Prepare your heart for the king. This means making room in your heart, because you can't have two kings You can't have allegiance to two different authorities. So many times, our hearts are cluttered. Our hearts hearts are cluttered with misguided pursuits and misplaced priorities. There are so many other things in competition to putting Jesus first and foremost in our lives. And it's so easy to, to stand out on Sundays like we do here and to put down the palm branches and to scream, Hosanna! Hosanna to the highest, to praise God, but to have a different version of the God we praise. We want the king who gives our physical needs what we want, who, who takes care of us in ways that, that aren't necessarily a part, or at least the most important part of his kingdom. So many times we have mistaken expectations. For Jesus, many people were anticipating he would be the king, but they thought he was an earthly king. They limited his power. And they were saying, save us. What they really meant was, save our skin, save our livelihoods, save our heritage, save our tradition, save our social standing. And Jesus was ready to save them from what they needed, saving most their own sins, our own sins. 
Is there room in your heart for the king? Some of our hearts are darkened by pain and suffering. We've been wronged. We've been hurt. Our hearts are heavy with loss, which then influence every other part of our lives. And we might be ready and okay and comfortable giving Jesus certain parts of our lives, but we can't hand over the pain. For others, our hearts are full of stubbornness and pride. We find a convenient place for Jesus in our lives, probably on the edges, on the margins, something that is socially acceptable, something that won't be noticed by people that we want to respect us. And yet the truth is, he's not the most important thing. Our allegiance isn't first and foremost to him. Some of us have unyielding hearts. We struggle to give up what means so much, being in control. Why was King Herod so disturbed? Why was the city so disturbed at Jesus' birth? Because there can't be two kings. It's hard to make room in our hearts when our hearts are full of self. And so as you examine your heart, are you preparing room for the king? Because here's what you need to know. The long-awaited king will make another arrival. He is coming back. He is coming back. Joy to the world was more about his return than it was about his birth. The basis for this well-known song is Psalm 98. And Psalm 98 is a beautiful psalm of celebration. You read it, and it's like a, a praise service. Lots of celebration, lots of praise, but there's something else. It says that when Jesus arrives, when he comes back, he is going to judge. There will be judgment. How can you celebrate at judgment? How can you hold those two things together? Celebration and judgment. Is it possible? Just ask anyone who's been acquitted. Just ask anyone who's been forgiven. Ask anyone who has stood on the other side of justice, of judgment, clothed in mercy. There is great reason for celebration. Because Jesus is our King, He is also our Savior. And we will stand on the other side of judgment with Him in His mercy. Because He has all authority. And that's what He says He's going to do. So receive your King, surrender your life, make room in your heart. If we can be an encouragement to you, let us do that. Let us pray for you. Let us support you. Let us challenge you. In just a moment, we're going to stand. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a room off the hallway behind the stage area. You can exit and go around there. They would love to encourage you and pray for you. If that would be helpful for you today, please take advantage of that. Or you can come down to the front and we will support you and pray for you as a church family. Or maybe today you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, to begin a walk with him, clothed with Christ. You're ready to be baptized into Christ, professing your faith that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, making him the King of your life. Don't delay. Do that today. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand.
our brother Jonathan Tillahun has come forward. Many of you know him. I appreciate you other men coming down to support Jonathan. Jonathan is on quite a journey, as most of us are, and his journey has ups and downs, and he's just come forward to say that he's going through some difficult times right now, that every time he feels like he's making some progress, that he has some setbacks and some challenges, and he just wants us to pray for him, pray for forgiveness, and pray for strength, and pray for the Spirit of God to work in his life. And so I would encourage you, uh, not just today, but throughout the week, when you remember, or make it a goal to remember, to pray for Jonathan. Remember he and Anitra and their family. So we want to pause right now and pray together. Join me in prayer. Father God, we come to you right now in this moment knowing that you are powerful, that you are the God of the universe. Father, you want to hear what's on our hearts, what's on our minds. You know what we're saying before we even say the words. You know what's on our hearts before we even disclose that. Father, you know Jonathan. He belongs to you. He is your child. Father, we pray that as he is hurting, as he is struggling, that you would lift him up, that you would allow your spirit to work in his life in a way that is visible, in a way that gives him hope and courage, in a way that gives him a way to, uh, to navigate the challenges that he faces, the choices that he makes, Father. I know he wants to please you. He wants to do the right thing. So I pray for your strength for him. God, we pray for forgiveness. Father, wipe away the sins, the struggles, and Father, help him know that he is forgiven, and help him to share that forgiveness with others around him, to live in the middle of your will, Father, at the heart of your blessings of mercy and grace as a channel of those things, not just to himself, but to his family, and to his, to his world. Father, we, uh, we come to you because we know that you care. Thank you for caring. Thank you for loving. And Father, again, we just lift up Jonathan for you to take care of. In your son's name, the king of all kings, we pray. Amen.